greet you again this evening in Jesus' name. I appreciate your prayers. The subject this evening is one that I feel quite inadequate about. And our brother mentioned about realizing how much we don't know. That's what happens sometimes when you study a subject. I'm thinking this evening of music, especially godly music. But when we think of godly music, we need to address that which is also ungodly. And I do not feel that I am any kind of authority in music. I'm thankful that the Bible does speak to music. And also that there have been other people who have studied it, looked into it more than I, and have written some books. I am using some from the book I Can't Sing, or I Can Sing, the T is crossed out, by Brian Sensnig, and also a few thoughts from John Koblenz's book, Music in Biblical Perspective. We want to consider tonight the music that we hear and sing. Is it godly in its content and in its form? Again, this evening, when I think of music, I I look in the Bible about where we first read about music. And maybe I'll just refer to the first one, Genesis 4.21, just as a simple mention that Jubal was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. Now that's not, doesn't address music very much, but they did have those instruments early in the history of man. I might turn to the next one, Genesis 31:27, And this one does not address the type of music much, but it does bring out somewhat the purpose of music, at least one purpose of it. Genesis 31:27. the setting is where Jacob had fled away from his father-in-law Laban. Jacob had taken his wives and his children and left in secret because he felt that his father-in-law would not appreciate that he was leaving, and that was true. But Laban was upset that Jacob had left that way. And notice what he said he wanted to do. Wherefore, Genesis 31:27. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabret and with harp. So Laban would have wanted that to be a joyful time of sending Jacob and Jacob's family, which were Laban's daughters and grandchildren, he wanted to send them away with mirth, with happiness, which would have included singing and the use of the instruments there. Then we have the song of victory of Moses and the children of Israel. Turn to Exodus 15. So one, well, we're going to see more than one reason for singing here. Singing, first of all, should be praise and worship to God. It can include testimony and experience and teaching. Here in Exodus 15, I'll read at least some of this. Moses and the children of Israel, they are recounting their victory of going through the Red Sea. That they are. They are also praising God for who he is and what he has done for them. And 
I'm wondering if it if this one purpose of this song might be then to preserve for the oncoming generations what had happened there. Genesis 15, excuse me, Exodus 15:1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his horse host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I think I'll stop reading there. I think it's noteworthy here how this this song expresses praise to God. It gives some experience. It expresses more praise to God for what he has done. And I believe it was a profitable song for them to sing. Not all songs are profitable to sing or sung for the right reasons. And I believe we have the first now, I, I'm looking at some of the first mentions that we have recorded. I believe there was probably singing that was not recorded in Scripture, singing earlier in history, possibly than what we realize. But if we would turn now to Exodus 32, we have another occasion of singing, but this was not such a good song that they were singing. This was when Moses had gone up into the mountain by the command of God. The people thought he was gone too long. They didn't know what happened to him. And it seemed as though they had to have a God that they could see. Moses, they looked up to Moses as their, probably their intercessor between them and God. And he was, he was up in the mountain. They didn't know if they would see him again, evidently. Exodus 32, 17 and 18 is Joshua speaking and describing what he was hearing as they were coming down from the mountain. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it of the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the voice of them that the noise of them that sing do I hear. And if you would read further, you find that they were worshiping the calf. Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he was angry and break the tables of the covenant down. It says he break them beneath the mount. Idol worship was happening. The people were singing in celebration of idol worship. I thought it's interesting that the singing sounded like war. How did they 
confuse this singing, first of all, as the noise of war. Well, then he decided it wasn't the noise of war, but of those that sing. And notice another thing in verses 25 and 26, what the effect was on this, from this whole thing. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. The effect was nakedness. Now, it is debated whether this was literal undress or whether this is figurative in that they were stripped of their integrity. Instead of serving the true God, they were now worshiping idols, and it was to their shame. I really believe the two go together. And according to what I read, that still goes together today. When there is wrongful worship, there is also wrongful undress and actions, even immorality. The point is that wrong music is related to a departure from God and decency and often involves a loosening of one's morals. Music does affect us. I don't know if you've ever experienced a time when you were feeling a certain way that you didn't want to feel and you finally decided you had to sing. And it made a difference. I think there's at least one person here who has worked at, at Faith Mission Home. I was there 32 or 33 years ago as a volunteer. And while Faith Mission Home is a place of handicapped children, most of them are mentally handicapped as well as physically, some of them to a greater or lesser degree. But one thing that is easy to find out when you go there, they are bright in their own way. They know when a new worker comes and they know how to um, misbehave or not be cooperative because the new worker doesn't really know what he's doing. And I was experiencing that one day, and it was pretty frustrating. I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't feel like singing, but I decided I am going to sing. And I don't have all the explanations, but it did make a difference. Maybe it just made a difference in me, in my mannerisms and responses. I don't know. But... For me, it helped that day, and I never forgot that. I am not intending to actually read out of this book a lot tonight, but I do want to read one part here. The person mentions how music affects us, and I don't think I can say it better than he does. So I want to read this part. Music does affect our physical, mental, and spiritual being. Music can soothe a person who is tense or, in contrast, can make a relaxed individual nervous and agitated. Restaurants can control the rate at which people consume their food by the speed of the music being played. If the seats are all filled up and customers are waiting in line, they can speed up the music. The crowd then flows through faster. If there is plenty of seating room, Managers slow down the rhythm so diners will tend to relax, take longer to eat, and maybe even order an extra round of desserts. Retailers are aware of how music affects customers. The background music playing in a department store is not mere chance. It was chosen to manipulate you into buying. 
How often do you find yourself buying something you really didn't need or had no intention of buying? This is more of a problem for some people than others, but if you have had this experience in a department store, the music you subconsciously heard possibly had a bearing on your decision. Music can also control a crowd of people and cause them to commit immoral and vile acts that they had no intention of doing. Music is used extensively in the military to keep the soldiers moving together in a rhythm while marching or training. The Air Force, Army, and Navy also use it to increase the soldiers' savage fighting ability during extreme combat. Music has a much larger effect on our lives than we realize. Unless we live in total isolation, we are exposed to music, good or bad, voluntarily or involuntarily. Our moral and spiritual character are greatly affected by two of our senses, sight and hearing. What we see and hear influences what we think. What we think controls what we do. What we do reveals who we are. Therefore, music we hear has an effect on what we are. I thought that was significant. Psalm 141.4 says, Incline not mine heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Why would the Christian want to listen to the world's evil in song and eat their dainties? Think about godly music now. Godly music appeals to the mind. The mind stays in control of the body. And that's a good thing. Remember the ungodly music, the conditions were that the mind was not in control of the body anymore. Godly music always has an upbuilding message as its main feature. When we hear godly music, ideally we will think about the message, obey the message affecting who we are. Godly music has words or messages that are the most prominent over harmony, melody, and rhythm, and those are vehicles carrying the music. And I might say there also the thing of uh, musical instruments. I don't know what your policy is on musical instruments or if you address that. Godly music has a clear message, an upbuilding message. If there is instruments along with it, the rhythm needs to be such as is not stirring the body in bad ways, but rather giving us the encouraging effect to do right which will be in harmony with the words that we hear. And we had better be able to understand the words that are there. If there is so much instrumental that you can't understand the words, what message are you getting is the question. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14. I have read this passage a number of times and I've been thinking about the subject of music for quite a while. And I, I read this passage and I say, that applies to music. It applies to singing. Some, uh, this passage especially speaks of tongues, speaking in tongues. But I very much believe that it applies to singing. 
I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 and then a few more verses throughout the chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. And think about not only speaking in tongues, but singing as well. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye all prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I speak, shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandest not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I'll read next verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. We do have some mentions here of singing. And while the main theme is tongues, I believe also the main theme is a clear message, giving a clear message in tongues, yes, but in words that can be understood. I don't know how you view it when you hear a chorus, and I will say right now, not all a cappella music is necessarily good music. And I realize that I sometimes can be pretty critical. But when I hear a singing group, I want to understand, even if it's a new song, I want to understand the words the first time I hear them. I don't want to have to hear that a couple times to really get the message. Why do, well, I'll say this first. 
we may not uh, fully get the message, the words that we hear. It may take time to process the words that we hear, but we should be able to understand the words that we hear the first time. That's my opinion. Why do some programs where you go to, all the songs are printed on your program? Why is that? It's so that you can understand the words, even if they aren't sung in the way that they are clearly understood. Why does that happen? First of all, according to verses 15 through 17, I have a problem with that kind of singing. We are told in here, in this scripture, about singing with the spirit and with the understanding and how that when others hear and I'm not sure if this is addressing especially singing or speaking but they should be able to say amen at what is said but they can't do that if they don't understand what's being said maybe the one who's singing is edified but the others are not what is the benefit? I have been closely listening to singing groups and something I have noticed is that those who are, and I don't know what the right word is, some of you would probably know better, but in my words, they're more proper there are certain ways that they say the words that are more proper. Maybe it's a singing group that we would tend to think is a little more elite. But those tend to be the ones that are harder to understand. Those who are more down to earth, you can understand better. They may not be as learned in all the proper techniques and so on, but the message is clear. It's there. And I'm going to just throw something else in here, and I have no idea what you think about this, but music camps. Is this what music camps are promoting? The type of elite singing that end up not having a clear message. I think of professionalism in singing and in sports there tends to be the same effect and that is exclusiveness if you don't have the training you may not be able to help the group whether they're singing or playing sports because you don't know how to do it good enough what does that do for including all in the body of Christ. I do support trying to sing well, and we should. But we should not be excluding anyone in our singing, especially not because of ability or lack of ability and so on. And that can be an offense, whether in singing or in sports. It has been an offense. I have seen it already. Think about Jesus when he gave the parable of the talents. And this is in Matthew 25. He gave to one man ten talents, to another man five, and to another one. Or was it five, two, and one? Now I kind of forget. I believe it was five, two, and one. But it says, to every man according to his several ability. It, it, the thing that mattered to Jesus was whether each person was faithful in his ability. And I believe we should apply that in our 
singing groups. We, yes, we want to do right. We want to sing properly. It sounds better. We may have a better worship experience when we're not distracted by terrible singing. But we can all make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and we should. If you don't know how to sing as well as the next person, that's okay. Do what you can and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I believe that's the important thing. And according to 1 Corinthians 14, the message should be clear. Thinking a bit of ungodly music. Ungodly music appeals to the physical sense. And it emphasizes the rhythm often or the beat which becomes prominent and then that affects the physical body and when the beat and the rhythm is prominent it affects the body there is confusion and Brother Sensening brought it out this way, the mind becomes short-circuited and does not realize what it's hearing. If the mind is not in control, it can be tricked into absorbing and accepting unwholesome or vile lyrics and messages it normally rejects. Under these circumstances, the body may also perform actions the mind would not normally allow. I don't know just where you are with music. Sometimes I tend to think, well, we know these things. It's no use speaking of rock music, for example. But other times I'm reminded not everybody does know. Not everybody has heard. We need to be reminded. Rock music is produced by those who have yielded themselves to Satan. And a lot of this stuff, again... I don't know personally. I have to read to find out about it. Rock stars' lives, and by the way, a brother mentioned idols. Rock stars are idols to a lot of people. Again, thinking back to Faith Mission days, there was a boy there as a resident who, he was physically handicapped, not severely, but he had a physical handicap. And his mind was also somewhat handicapped, but he was able to think more clearly than a lot of them. When that boy would go home for a visit and come back, all he could talk about was Michael Jackson. And I hardly knew who Michael Jackson was, but I soon found out that he was a prominent singer and this, this boy would talk about Michael Jackson and he would get this evil laugh. He knew very well what we thought of that kind of thing. And I don't know, sometimes I wondered if Satan had any, any hold on that boy because of when him going home and hearing that kind of thing. Rock stars' lives are a tangle of immorality, drugs, murder, tobacco, alcohol, occult, communicating with the dead, Satan worship, astrology, and so on. Their music openly and in hidden lyrics encourages, encourages the listeners to do the same things, supposedly for their joy and satisfaction. Very few rock stars die naturally, and most of them die young, in their 20s. And I could have went into details there, but I didn't. Rock music includes, and again, I'm just telling you what I've read because I do not know this personally, includes backward masking. And that is ungodly phrases 
recorded backwards so they are less noticeable and the subconscious mind still understands even if they're backwards the subconscious mind understands and is affected by them this then causes people to do unexplainable things and we wonder why the syncopated or offbeat rhythm of rock music negatively affects all living things people animals and even plants I have heard of people who milk cows with various types of music on and that rock music tends to not be good for in the milk house or in the parlor for the cows to hear there was somebody who did an experiment with plants now I realize that when you hear the words they did a study that doesn't mean it is absolutely the way that study came out those are famous words they did a study now this is just gospel no it's not there need to be many many studies done to make sure you know that it's actually true this one they did a study with I've used those words with plants so they had five different kinds of plants and they exposed them to various kinds of music rock music country and the other kinds of music they all had the same light temperature water air and so on they all had the same environment the only difference was the music that was being played those exposed to rock music did very poorly they leaned away from the speakers and after the experiment was over they even saw that the roots were away from the speakers I can't understand I can't explain that but I can believe it so some people protested about this not not the way you hear protest today but they did not like to hear this result so this experiment was conducted several times to see if this would always be the case and in every case they did poorly they tried to get away from the speakers those plants who did not listen to rock music grew normally those plants exposed to rock music were dead within four weeks in every experiment they were dead within four weeks that's for what it's worth rock music is ungodly that's just how it is thinking about country music just a bit it contains a small amount of beautiful melodies truths and good themes such as honesty fatherly love beauty of nature value of hard work and so on but you have that small three-letter word but the main theme is the same as rock music unrestrained fornication and adultery some of the things in rock music and in country are a little different rock music includes or rock the rock culture includes drugs murder and gross rebellion country promotes tobacco drinking robbery gambling and cheating but the main theme that sells them both and makes them the devil's music is unrestrained lust in both kinds of music and we are told in Ephesians 5:3 but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not once be named among you as become of saints 
There's another one. I don't know how much you're acquainted with this term. Christian contemporary music. Contemporary means modern or current. So this is a very broad uh, category of music. It is meant to be listened to instead of to be sung along with and is primarily entertainment instead of worship. And what I read is the biggest component of contemporary Christian contemporary music is Christian rock, if there is such a thing. It has the same rock beat with different words. Probably does not have that backward masking that we read about, that I hear about with rock music, but it still has that rock beat which controls the body, adversely affects the mind, regardless of what the words are. Christian rock groups are almost as crude in their dress, actions, and lifestyles as their secular counterparts. They use the same rock beat and loud volume to appeal to the crowds. And I didn't give you nearly all that I read about rock music and Christian rock music. The things that go on at their gatherings is unbelievable. But I believe that's been enough focus on ungodly music. God wants us to sing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I have a friend who lives in Ontario and at one point during this whole COVID thing, their local official advised them that they could get together and worship but not sing because that that would spread things as, as bad as coughing, I think it was. And he said they had people in their congregation saying, how long can we do this? Is this biblical not to sing at a worship service? And that's, that's a good question. Notice that in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, this is one sentence, and it does have to do with singing in verse 19, and I believe we are commanded to sing. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we read here that Part of being filled with the Spirit, we're commanded in verse 18 at the end to be filled with the Spirit, that part of that would be speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing is, you know, making noise, singing, making melody in your heart, I believe that is a type of worship also to God. And that is what it's to be, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Included with that then is thanksgiving in verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21 brings in submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Singing has a good effect upon God's people, godly singing. Singing and praising God, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It has an effect of drawing people together. We have another similar verse in Colossians Colossians 3, 16. 
for you school students what what happens when you have a verse that doesn't have a subject can anyone tell me so this verse starts out let the word of Christ dwell in you richly Am I right that that's an understood subject? You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's a number of verses in the Bible like that, and we should think about it that way. You or me let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we are there to teach and admonish one another with singing. And at the same time, we're glorifying God. I noticed here that verse 17, verse 16 is sandwiched between verses 16 and between verses. Okay, now I'm getting mixed up here. Verse 16 is the verse that speaks to us about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Verses 15 and 17 both mention thankfulness. 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 17, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I think it's significant that thankfulness is on both sides of that verse, speaking of singing. I realize there are various types of songs. Some are sober, sad songs at a funeral, and that's okay. I believe that's fitting. There are also many songs of thankfulness. And tonight I'm not even touching the, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has much, much to say about singing and praising God through song. Teach your children to sing. And I have a suggestion for this. It's something that we have done at home and I just think it works well. For our evening meal, we, and our children are getting sort of old, but we're still doing this when, when there's a number of them there at least, we have a prayer song for the evening meal. And each child would pick a song. Now we had eight children, so there was one for each evening and two for Saturday. That was eight. And that worked as long as they were all home. But anyways, you can figure it out how you want to. Choose a prayer song for the meal. So have each child take turns when they're old enough to choose a song and start it. And when they're really young, they might just say one word and they might not, might not even be singing it, but they say it and then you all take off and go with it. It teaches them to want to sing, teaches them not to be afraid to start out singing, and you sing it in unison. I think small children, the sooner they learn to sing in unison, the better off it is. I think your teachers will appreciate it if your first grader comes to school knowing how to sing in unison. So they help to start the song. They start the song, you all help to sing it, and it helps them to be comfortable in singing and being heard. It's also good to sing together at home. Otherwise, I don't think we did this enough as a family. Some families do better than we did, but we did do this thing of singing prayer songs for one meal a day normally. And along with that, I'm going to give another suggestion that really has nothing to do with singing, 
but it does have to do with reading. I think it was my wife's family that had this practice and we, we made it ours. We would read at breakfast time the daily readings. We would each have a Bible and each read a verse. Your first graders part ways through the year can start helping you read. And it takes patience because they aren't going to always know the words. But you can help them. Help them with the words. They each read a verse. It takes does take patience because some read slower than others and so on. I believe it helps them in their actually in their academics through the summer. They aren't having an emphasis on reading in school anymore. But just just a few verses every morning of reading, I believe it helps. Helps to reinforce reading being taught in school. Plus Reading the Bible, you find out, you teach that that is important. Parents, choose good music. I would say choose good CDs. I don't know how soon that's going to be out of date to use CDs, but we still use them. Choose good music. Again, I don't know what your policy is about accompaniment with music. My opinion is there is so much good a cappella singing out there. Why do we need to choose anything that is questionable? Not all a cappella is good singing, and we need to be selective. But there is much good a cappella singing. Let us sing. And when it comes to parents, the kind of music we listen to, we will be teaching. There is more caught than taught. Something I didn't do, first of all, this evening is our memory verse. And I'm wondering if there are children here who would want to say it for us. Any volunteers to say Isaiah 57, 15? Okay, anyone else? You don't have to consider yourself a child to say it now. Let's say it all together. Isaiah 57:15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, his name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57:15. Thank you. May God bless you. Sing for God's honor and glory.